welcome to the Mission Daily. I'm Chad Grills. I'm joined by Ian Faison. How are you doing? Chad, did I ever tell you that you could not be a member of the band The Animals? Do you know why? No. Because you would never say the words, don't let me be misunderstood. <laughs> it's a deep cut. Which brings us to, does it bring us to the, the future? Absolutely. I think it does. Yeah. I think that's a perfect way to segue into talking about the future. And the cool thing about the future is it's always happening somewhere. So the last episode, we referenced that quote by William Gibson, famous science fiction writer. And another fun quote to explore, where is the future occurring and how do you join it? And then how do you uh, capitalize on the benefits of living in the future or moving in that direction is by Malcolm Gladwell, who says that you should be constantly updating your positions on as many things as possible. And if you don't contradict yourself on a regular basis, then you're not thinking. So, you know what he's saying? What's that? He's saying that you might be misunderstood, my man. <laughs> and somebody else said that. Truer words. That we're going to get into later in the episode. So that quote is uh, really, really helpful to help us reach the future and kind of get out there and put ourselves out there. Because in order to find that frontier, we have to contradict ourselves. There's going to be a lot of false starts and stumbling and everything. Um, but the future's out there and it's definitely, not only is it accessible, I would say that those who are building it and living in it are desperate for others to join them. There's actually such a small number of people who are really involved in those industries that are trying to make, say, space mining or anything like that a reality that when you get there or when you really start to explore it, you're going to find that there really aren't that many people at all. So in today's episode, we're going to be framing some thoughts around how to find the future. And then in part two of this episode, which is going to air tomorrow, we are going to be talking about how to join said future. This links back to yesterday's episode where we were talking about the different career paths and the jobs that are going to be in the future, um, business developers, engineers, designers, and scientists. And we're going to kind of have it ongoing dialogue about this, about the future. I love it. And the challenge with trying to get to the frontier or the future or find out what's happening before the opportunities have all been taken advantage of is that it's really, really hard to do on your own. It's if you're in a better environment with a job and coworkers or people who are also seeking the frontier or interested in it, it becomes much easier. So case in point, when we moved out here, it was like, uh, just a breath of fresh air. Like we li we lived in DC before this, before we moved out to California. Uh, and DC is great, but it's also predicated on a certain type of um, profession and uh, work environment and everything like that. So the culture is just very different. Whereas the culture out here, uh, and a, a good example that sums up what the culture is like is I recently got an invite to a private kind of like uh, hangout and event. And I was laughing out loud when I was reading this because partly feeling like I had snuck snuck in stupidest guy at the table type thing, but also like how, just how cool is this? Like I finally got to the frontier. You always, after you always want to be the, uh, <laughs> the guy with the worst house on the, on the nice street, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Not, not a bad, uh, not a bad way to do it. Uh, but the invite basically said something like, um, we're excited that others are going to be joining us from the fields of synthetic biology, advanced propulsion technology, including nuclear ion and antimatter thrust to machine learning, <laughs> augmented reality, robots, gaming and cryptography. So that's just a quick, you know, we quickly skated over these massive fields that are going to just increasingly dominate our economy. That's the example of 
the future that's going on right now. And you don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to have those credentials, the old credentials that we we're talking about, because everyone in those fields right now needs trustworthy, hardworking people. And that's where it gets exciting because all these fields are growing at such a rate where when pies are growing, it's a beautiful thing because there's enough to go around. If you like pie, it's a good, I don't know. I mean, gluten-free, you know, who, sugar you know who loves pie? Steve Case. Actually, I don't know if he does. But so <laughs> like why we're talking about this uh, summed up in a, in a great quote from Steve Case. He said, during the past three decades, startups in the United States have created nearly 40 million American jobs, all of the net job creation in the country over that period. All of it. I'm a bit nerdy, but I'm right there with you. So I zero in on the fact where he says all all of it. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's why we're talking about like, what are, like, what are going to be the jobs in the future? What are things that are being created every single day that people can learn about now? And the thing that's really crazy about this stuff is that in most cases, what they're teaching in, this isn't a referendum on college, but what they're teaching in, in college will have absolutely no significance to that field by the time you get yes. out into the real world. Yeah, like, there's too I, few people there. There aren't formal systems and processes. It's generally, and the fields are growing so fast, the people in them are so desperate for help that if you are if you have a pulse and you show up and you're trustworthy, it's like the world's yours. So I read, I was rereading one of my textbooks from college about, it was intro to marketing for my intro to marketing class. I reread it, like it was just sitting on my shelf the other day. So I was flipping through it. You got to figure how could you have a marketing book in 2018 that has Facebook and <laughs> Google sophistication and like 80% or over 80% of the entire marketing spend in America is spent on Google and Facebook. So in 2008, when this or more earlier, 2004, when this marketing book, book was written, neither of those things were even close to that big of a player. So how can you stay relevant? Well, there's a lot of things that you can do to stay relevant for the jobs in the future economy. Definitely. And I think that it's important to, if you're thinking about getting into a field, a good test to propose and just think about yourself, but a way to judge the field is, you know, is it anti-technological? So is it a field that uh, an industry or a group of people that doesn't really value new solutions because everyone is rewarded for signaling that work is being done or basically like playing games, pretending that they're doing work or how many meetings they're taking. Yes. Yeah. So everybody, you know that when you see it and when you are inside of it, you definitely can feel that type of bureaucratic stale environment where the pie is slowly shrinking and everyone involved in that environment is kind of anxious and stressed out. And everybody basically can see the writing on the wall, although for many years they might not want to admit it that the pie is either shrinking or it's becoming increasingly hard to figure out how to divide it up. And that's why growth and new frontiers is so important because non-zero, you know, zero-sum games are not fun to play. Those are generally horrible. So the rate at which we can create new games and new industries that are more voluntary and offer bigger frontiers for people to go in and, you know, take a, get that proverbial homestead on the frontier for a couple cents or whatever the better that society is going to be. So Eric Reese said that the way that I'm paraphrasing, so I don't remember the actual quote. It's a direct quote. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. The speed of innovation of a company is defined by how quickly ideas can move from like the bottom to the top and back down. It's like, think about That's how easy, good, yeah. Think about how easy it would be to get an idea from like, you know, the lowest private in the army to like Impossible. the highest generals, like really long. Think of- Unless you have a whistle. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, or any, any other type of organization. If you're like, if you're so far removed from the idea spreading, then how could you possibly be innovative? Yeah. That's, a, that's a good way to look at the anti-technological companies. And that's not to a, say that's that, a, dude, that's a great way for people to think about this is like a, a test to pose to the thanks, organization. Ma'am. Yeah. No, that's really, really solid. So wherever you're at right now, like how's that test work? Is it? So, and if you're a CEO or if you're a C-level executive, yeah, go think of an idea that you want executed and go give it to one of your lowest empl- or whatever yeah. entry level employees definitely, and see how quickly it gets to you. Yeah. So for all the CEOs, VCs and folks like that that are listening, yeah, just pose this challenge or maybe um, do a bit of, uh, you know, AB and testing where you see if can you insert an idea in a new organization or maybe you can have your portfolio CEOs run this experiment. So I want to get to. I want to get to the, we have this really killer quote that we're going to dive deep into in a second, but I have a quick aside. You know what was the best show ever? And they might, might still be on. Uh, Undercover Boss, where they'd take oh, the yeah. CEOs and they would put it. That is like brilliant. The it most is, useful. What yeah, one of the most useful shows in business. It's so great. Yeah. That's just all, Anyways, I digress. Yeah. No, we'll get back to it. Uh, we'll definitely get back to that. That's that's it. I'm very interested in, as you know, shows. But people who are, I'll, I'll, I'll bring this around people like executives and leaders that are, I should say leaders that are technological are going to want to pursue things where ideas can flow faster, where they know it's the ground truth of what's going on. And that's why they're creating technologies that will change things. And when we say technologies, by the way, we're not just talking like code. There's many different types of technologies that are out there. But I mean, obviously code is in yeah. everything now. Anything that helps you do more with less. So it might be a way that you greet people that encounter your organization or yourself. Um, because at, you know the first couple seconds you meet someone are generally pretty important. Uh, and it's good to practice these things. Because if you create a new way to present yourself, it might make people like you a little bit more. If you're working in retail at the front of a store and you greet people in different ways. And one of those ways gets people to laugh or something like that. That's a form of technology. It's allowing you to do more with less. It's changing the user experience that that user has when they go into the store. So that's, yeah, technology isn't just, um, yeah, smartphone. Okay. So we're going to finish this episode, the last few minutes here, just breaking apart an epic quote from Emerson. Yes. This is how you find the frontier for sure. Strap in because we're going on a journey together. Um, it's not super long, but we want the to discuss first, each part of yes, this in the sequence. The first portion of the quote is something that you might have heard pretty regularly, or maybe you've, yeah, maybe you've not. But the uh, rest of the quote is what conveniently gets left out when most people just cite the first quote. Um, fun side note, did you know Seth Godin rereads Self-Reliance every single year by Emerson? No, that's yeah. great. Yeah, it's a, it's a great book. It's actually the first book that he published as part of the Domino Project uh, where he was trying to uh, start a publishing company. Oh, no or, kidding. Or I guess it was like his second publishing company or something. But he, uh, yeah, acquired I've the never read it. Book. What's it called? Self-Reliance. It's a series of essays on self-reliance. It's it's invaluable. What's it, Could we get it's, a quick, how quickly like can we do page. like an Emerson like a, a whole dive episode. into his? We'll, so when we wrap up the Find Your Mission series that uh, we're doing right now, we'll uh, start to dive into those one big topic uh, type shows and let's add Emerson to the list. Yeah. So yeah, Sweet. pure, pure Americana. Um, so okay, let's get into it. Let's start the quote. A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. I feel like he meant for this to rhyme. He did. I think so. So this, uh, what Emerson's saying here is that 
hobgoblins are going to come and get you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, is that if you're always trying to be consistent and you have this imaginary group of people in your head that are critiquing every single idea and they're going to be carefully monitoring you to make sure that you didn't contradict yourself from two weeks ago, that's a really limiting, horrible way to view the world. And typically the people who adore that are the type of people who speak in terms of flip-flopping. Like that's, you know, the political yeah. example where it's like, oh, did you flip-flop on this issue? Like, maybe, like more maybe, facts presented themselves. Yeah, I, I changed my mind. <laughs> like changing your mind is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the type of people that adore consistency are the type of people that you should run from, the people that will prevent you from finding the frontier and finding where things are being done, where there's more opportunity instead of less. Counterpoint. Shoot. I feel like we're in the golden age of like hot takes and yes. talking head BS and yeah. stuff like that. So when we're saying, I guess this isn't a counterpoint because I'm explaining it, but uh, the counterpoint to this would be that, well, you know, people are just putting out hot takes right and left just to get people's reaction. They're not actually stand behind, standing behind those things. They're just saying that to get like clicks and whatever else it is to be like sensationalism so how do you draw the line that is a that is a counterpoint that's it's a great point because that's um a way right now to kind of like signal that work is being done in a lot of these fields so whether it's journalism or something like that um a lot it's it's kind of sad to see because i i think that uh not trying to be callous but maybe i am uh with journalism especially you have a lot of people that are signaling that they are uh contrarian by just disagreeing with people or being outraged. And it's just a very simple way to show that I'm all about foolish consistency again and again. Or if you say something I disagree with, I'm just going to point to something that's, uh, you know, outrageous or something you said that should get you fired type thing. Um, that's going to go away. This is a very, very temporary thing that only exists. Uh, we'll talk about another episode, but it'll, it basically only exists because the internet is uh, has four protocol layers and the fifth protocol layer that's coming Shout out to Naval Ravikant for his amazing episode uh, or essay, excuse me, about the fifth protocol. But that is what's going to stop a lot of the uh, silliness on, online and create some new type of incentives where uh, foolish consistency type folks and all the hobgoblins aren't going to have as much uh, room to play. So sorry, hobgoblins. Next part of the quote. With consistency, a great soul has simply nothing to do. He or she may well concern themselves with his shadow on the wall or their shadow. Speak what you think now in hard words, and tomorrow, speak what tomorrow thinks in hard words again, though it may contradict everything you said today. Ah, so you shall be sure to be misunderstood. So a good example of this, or I'm making up an example, so I hope it's good. I hope you like it. So you know the book Remote? Yeah. Um, By... Basecamp, formerly 37 Signals, Jason Fry. Jason Fry, thank you. DHH. Um, uh, so he wrote this book called Remote, which is all about remote work and all these different things. It's a great book. An example of of this thing, I think it's very widely, now it's kind of embraced, but I think it was pretty misunderstood early on. If you were to go back on all of that and be like, okay, so, you know, remote was partly true, but it turns out it's actually really, really hard to build like a cohesive team remote. So what you need to do now is you need to have whatever, four meetings a year where you all get in person and do whatever. He actually wrote this into the original stuff. But that's the sort of stuff when we're talking about being misunderstood and being and contradicting things is like you need to be able to kind of right like draw your yeah definitely draw a line in the sand and then later down yeah later down the road be like 
you know what? I drew the line in the sand, but it was actually in the wrong place. Yes. Yeah, make plans, set a schedule, and then just don't care. Don't care if it something doesn't go exactly right. Like that's not it, the the most important thing is like, did you get started? And just take the judgment off of how quickly you're changing your mind because that's uh, explore it. Explore the idea of changing your mind every day. About well, I tweeted at Jason Lemkin the other day because he was he was posting about. Uh, basically the idea that back in like the early 2000s, outsourcing was really popular. And then it was like, oh, outsourcing is actually not a good thing for your team. And then it was like, oh, remote work is super popular. And now in person, it's and, starting to be like- Yeah, it's starting to be popular. <laughs> but but the idea is like, it's not that it's like remote work is great. Like, you know, the mission as a distributed team, but the idea that remote work is great with the caveat that it presents a thousand other leadership New challenges, challenges that yeah. nobody else has been pre- prepared for. So to to be the counter, the the thing that is would be misunderstood in this, and this is why I'm using this example, is what if you could be more efficient with your entire team spread around the world at different times, at different hours, and different that, and no, and you didn't have any meetings, and you didn't have any of that. That's a pretty radical thought. But then then later on, going down the line and contradicting that is. And being like, well, actually, you do need to all meet and maybe you do need to work on, you know, for certain things or whatever, then it would be the kind of contradiction. Yeah. Final part. Yeah. Other quote. Is it so bad then to be misunderstood? Pythagoras was misunderstood and Socrates and Jesus and Luther and Copernicus and Galileo and Newton and every pure and wise spirit that ever took flesh to be great is to be misunderstood. So that's the final piece of uh, this Emerson quote. And you can read more in his book, Self-Reliance. I think it's available PDFs free generally everywhere. It's like 80 to 90 pages. It's an excellent, excellent read. And the final portion of that quote, it's so hard to want to be liked. And it's, again, it's easy to fall into the trap too of thinking that being contrarian or clever or smart is just going around disagreeing with everyone. That middle path is much more it's a, it's a fine balance to pursue basically um, because you don't want to get yourself misunderstood to the point where you get burned at the stake. That's not the goal here. Um, the goal is to not become a scapegoat. The goal is to escape those who might persecute you because you have experienced the future or you are dreaming up or working on the future. You, you want to escape that fate, but at the same time, you want to be prepared for it. And this is why I said at the beginning that you were like, you could not be in the in, in the band, The Animals, who wrote the song, Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. Because there's times in life where you just have to be misunderstood. Are they still around right now? Because now I, I just, I feel like this is like a challenge. Are you telling me that I can't, I can't get in? No, you should, can't. I fight no. to it. Oh man, <laughs> no, this is, I don't think, I, yeah, I, I don't know if they are still around. If, if we had the rights to the song, please believe we would play the outro <laughs> of, uh, oh Lord, please so, don't let me be misunderstood. In part two, we're going to be discussing more about these specific industries and some uh, very tactical ways to get involved that anybody listening can apply. And uh, if you're already in the future in these industries, I think that this is going to be really valuable for you to uh, lay out a path to others and your friends and your family that you want to have come join you. Um, but the bottom line is trust yourself. Don't be, don't have a foolish consistency type complex and uh, the frontier and secrets exist. And if that didn't feel like we were in the future yet, we are. We are. And we're going to be talking about it more next episode. Come join us.
Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.